You're listening to Fueled, a Finstamaker podcast, and I'm your host, Catherine Finstamaker. Before we start, I'd like to just give everybody an idea of who you are, introducing our guest. John Finstamaker is a registered professional land surveyor. He is vice chairman and vice president of business development here at Finstamaker. John leads our business development team, managing the promotion of our firm's services. While in his former role as vice president of the survey and mapping division, John built a vast network of contacts consisting of both long-time and new clients. His experience with the company includes project planning, quality assurance and quality control, data acquisition, and management. Under John's leadership, our firm's survey and mapping division grew into what is now one of the most respected surveying firms in the country. John and his team developed new workflows and field communications, ensuring the company's position at the forefront of technology. With a focus on client satisfaction and technology integration, John has led some of the most efficient, well-equipped, and experienced teams in the industry. John is a member of the American Association of Professional Landmen, the Lafayette Association of Professional Landmen, the Permian Basin Landmen's Association, the Pipeliners Association of Houston, the American Petroleum Institute, the American Association of Drilling Engineers, the Louisiana Gas Association, the Louisiana Oil and Gas Association, the Adam Energy Forum, and the International Right-of-Way Association. So thank you, John, for participating in this season of Fueled, which we are calling Seeking CHF, an attempt to gain insight into our origins as a company, our founder, Charles Howard Finstemaker Jr., and of course, your role in the development and trajectory of our family business to where we are today, over 70 years in the making. So welcome. Thank you, Catherine, for this opportunity. (laughs) I'm excited. So you want to just jump into it? Sure. So you've been working here at Finstamaker for the duration of your career. You began in 1983 as a party chief of a survey crew. Can you talk a bit about the importance of those foundational years that you spent in the field, how that early experience has impacted what you've been able to accomplish since? Well, you know, starting, actually, I actually started in the summer of uh, 78. Wow. And I worked um, all of my summers during school. My father was more of wanting us to learn the business. So I worked as a rodman um, for my first two summers. Um, we worked a lot in the, in the Chafalaya Basin. We worked a lot in the swamp. I did not get any gravy jobs at all. It was always... Um, things that you never came home dry. It was fun, fun. And, and it was a good learning experience. Um, my father had several very well tenured party chiefs that I got to work with. Most of them with well over 20, 25 years experience that actually taught me some of the skills of how to do things that I would have never learned on my own. The, the the books that you go through in school definitely do not teach you those things. Um, you know, you, you never, you get into situations where you don't have equipment or equipment malfunctions. They taught me just different tools that you could use to get by with in case of emergency, especially when things went bad. You know, taught me not to panic, taught me um, some of the finer things that 
sometimes aren't taught today. So do you feel like that gave you a better appreciation like from now sort of in the office perspective, in your business development role, all of those early years, do you think that that kind of formed your opinions, your perspective, and kind of enhanced it? It did. It First of all, it gave you the drive for perfection. You know, we were out there doing a job for somebody, get it right, get it done on time. Most of the time we had company men out there, you know, especially back in those days, a lot of the oil company men were there with you on the on the site, especially the major oil companies. It helped you. It taught me to build a relationship with those guys. Um, you know, they were, they were out there not only to tell the party chief or look at what they were doing, but they were out there to make sure that, you know, we were performing to their needs. Safety wasn't a big deal back there. It was never talked about. But even though we didn't have a JSA in the morning, it was kind of an unwritten rule. We always worked safely. I learned a lot from some of those older gentlemen that were the base of my foundation. That's really cool. I think that's a neat aspect that they were out there on the site with y'all. And do you find that's still the case today? Or is it not so much the case today? I think today in the fast and furious world that we're in, most people take a picture. You know, they don't come out on site. They don't see what we have to go through to accomplish something. And a lot of that's taken for granted today. A lot of those old party chiefs used to give me hell. Actually, I took probably a bigger brunt of it than anyone else because I was the boss's son. And they expected a lot more from me and they were a little rougher on me. And maybe my dad told them behind the scenes or, you know, RJ was rough uh, him up, huh? RJ was kind of the field coordinator. RJ probably had that in mind. Hey, be rough on him because it's going to make an impact on his life and it's going to make him appreciate it at the end of the day. And I really did. I, I would never redo anything I did. You know, I worked in the field for eight years as a party chief after I graduated from college. Some of the party chiefs used to clown and used to always say, especially when there was a company man on the job, he's got a four-year education and look, he's out in the swamp and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they gave I, I just, time. they gave me a rough time, you know, you know, see, see what four years of college education got for you. You know, he's, he's swimming in the swamp <laughs> out there, you know, and earning your keep, earning my keep. And I, I just internally, my fire was not on that. It was, it was on the future. And I would just say, Hey, just remember one day I may be your boss. Oh, <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. So next question. Did you always want to become a land surveyor? Was it partly about following in your father's footsteps or was it about like, what was it about surveying that attracted you? I love the outdoors and I enjoy before I came to work here, I worked at a summer camp as a counselor and I really liked the outdoors and I like working with people. When I got into college, I said, man, civil engineering, do I really, really want to go through four years of physics and chemistries and all the math and everything. And in high school, probably I didn't push myself enough and I wasn't the best, the best student in some of those classes. I kind of took myself and says, Mando, I really want to become a civil engineer, thinking that was my path to being a surveyor. My brother Bill and RJ told me that it definitely wasn't something that you had to do. You know, you could you could get it through experience. 
I'd always had in the back of my mind, I wanted to be an architect also. You know, really? I said it would be kind of an added thing to the firm if I worked here mm-hmm. to have an architect involved because you see a lot of engineering architectural firms. So I actually uh, spent my first two years in college in architecture and I really, really enjoyed it. Probably the thing that killed me there was the history of the arts. I had mm-hmm. no passion for that. I liked it a little bit, but just studying some of the old arts from the foreign countries and it just overwhelmed me. And mm-hmm. and after my sophomore year, I actually changed my major to um, a management degree with a minor in engineering. I had some of my maths and stuff already out the way. So I kind of grew myself in preparation if I ever wanted to become a registered land surveyor with, you know, my six years of experience, I could do that at a later date. You know, what's interesting, I've heard that from even some of our recent interns who started in architecture and then transitioned away. Mm-hmm. It must just be something like with the brain. I don't know. Maybe it's like y'all have an interest in that artistic flair and then maybe veer in another direction. But I think that's something that you might have in common with more people than you think. It's interesting. I still use some of the stuff I learned there. Yeah. I'm rebuilding a camp right now and just, uh, and then redid a house, you know what I mean? And just using some of that and it all really falls back to service. It's all the same. Technically it's the same. It's spatial world, how you organize something spatially. And today, I mean, with all the technology we have and the computer systems, it's really, really interesting. So it's still my passion. I still like doing it. My architect friends laugh at me because I can draw something out and (laughs) definitely they have to tweak it. But (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I like that you have that in your back pocket as an extra added skill set. So kind of getting a little deeper in the spirit of this season of the podcast, Seeking CHF, our founder, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with your father? What was he like as a dad? When we were young, the business was growing. I want to say probably, probably 40 or so employees. My dad, he um, actually tried to make things better for everyone, you know. So back in the old days, they didn't have the computer horsepower that we have today. You really had glorified adding machines. So my dad, being a civil engineering graduate back in 1936, you know what I mean? Definitely, he didn't learn any computer knowledge back then, but he had a passion for it. He knew most of the stuff in his head. And when we were young, I my best memory of my father was every day he would bring home a roll of dot matrix paper with computer prints out, printing on it. And he would sit there and read that computer stuff and make markings and different things. He was actually writing computer software for some of the earlier computers to be able to do calculations. He wrote um, many, many programs that converted from lat longs to XY coordinates, closed traverses, inverses, stuff like that. He wrote them on his own. He was pretty much admired by most of all companies because he actually shared some of that knowledge with some of their surveying departments who was still doing them on old calculators and slide rules and things like that. He wanted to get away from the tabulation sheet that you find in some of our files here, and he wanted to automate and be better and use computer knowledge. I remember him writing a program one day to drive our one of our first plotters that we had here. 
you know, everybody sat at their desk, his survey text back then, and spotted everything by coordinates on pieces of cardboard, you know, or, or uh, poster boards. Okay. And that was put into the file room. And they would actually draw XYs that would go up 50 feet, over 10 feet. They would do things like that to spot things. He actually made a driver off of his computer that went to a, a flatbed plotter that put circles at everything so you didn't have to spot everything out. His passion kind of drove me. You know, he wrote all those programs. He simplified things for people in the office. The first one here to take us, you know, into the future. And, of course, my brother Bill took it from there and got us into CAD and things like that. My father was still living when CAD first came in, and he was just amazed. But, you know, that was his path forward. You know, he said, I think that that can happen. So very, very interesting that's what I remember. He did play with us a lot. You know, of course, he was a lot older. I was 40 years old. I mean, he was 40 years old when I was born. Yeah. And so he was a lot older. So most people thought he was my grandpa. Oh. You know, when we would go out and play soccer or, or do things like that back there, he was a lot older. But he came out in the driveway. He played basketball with us every Sunday. Oh, you know, he was really a trooper to have much, much younger kids. But he, he always... Mark and I ever had a passion. Hey, we want to go fishing. He always made it work. Or we want to go to the beach. Being a real older dad, you know, he really always let us do what we wanted to do. I always remembered him as a really, really hard worker. I don't think he took vacations probably the first five, six years when we were young. At least wouldn't leave the office for more than two or three days. Um, I think he finally hired people that he felt comfortable leaving to run the show while he was gone. I remember our first, and I remember my mom uh, talking about it, is he took two weeks off and we drove up to Canada when, when Mark and I were like five and seven. Mm -hmm. And we drove up to Canada and we went through the um, Niagara Falls and we drove down the East Coast all the way home. I don't think he ever took that much time away. And it was really neat to spend that much time with him. And it seemed like after that summer, every summer, he wanted to share with Mark and I the United States. So every summer, we'd take a couple of weeks off, and we would we flew one time to Washington and drove the Pacific. So I would say that we probably traveled 40 states with him over the years. That so was kind of neat. And cool. just his knowledge of it, you know what I mean? It was neat. That's my good memories of him. Well, he sounds like... He has such good duality that he was really engaged as a dad and then also on that business side, just real serious and really driven. He didn't have a lot of play in him, especially on the work side. Yeah. I've heard some stories. Uh -huh. <laughs> hey, next question. And this is a little to your heart. Did you grow up in admiration of your father's military service? Was that something that you felt like inspired you? Did that bleed over into your father-son relationship at all? I remember we had a closet downstairs in our house. We had a split-level home that, that uh, we grew up in in Iberia. And there was a closet downstairs. And in that closet, it had, I guess, my mom's Mardi Gras dresses in it. And Mark and I would play hide-and-seek around the house and <laughs> stuff like that. And we'd hide different places. And in there, his military duds were in there. You know, he never, ever talked about it at all, you know. And so, I mean, I would ask the question occasionally, you know, hey, Dad, what was it like? He really didn't have a passion to talk about it. He was 
proud of what he did. You know, he was kind of on the front lines. I don't know if y'all read his testimony from when he was over at Anzio Beachhead. But something he wanted to put behind him, he he did it. He served his, his country in both World War II and in the Korean War. But he really didn't like to talk about it. He lost a lot of friends there. A lot of people that he was with didn't come back. And he just didn't like to talk about it. I remember interviewing him now that you're talking about it. Whenever I was in fifth grade, we had to do a project. And I sat down with him at the breakfast table at the house in New Iberia. And he gave me just, I'll never forget some of the details that he gave, but it was definitely sounded like something that you'd want to put behind you for sure. Just a lot of sort of gory kind of memories and things like that. He said you never knew you were going to live. You know, he didn't think he was going to make it back. Yeah. He really didn't. There was just so much. And they were, like I said, they were triangulating troops in applying his surveying knowledge mm-hmm. in the military, radioing that up to planes to bomb. Yeah. So, you know, you really, he wasn't in a win-win situation. And he was one of the lucky ones that made it through it. Yeah. You know, I think about sometimes is just his mental fortitude. Because a lot of people, and not to knock anyone who has a hard time, but his mental fortitude to come home to be a dad, to start a business, and to be fully present for y'all and to do that after having such like a harrowing experience. It was just, I really think, a testimony to his capabilities and his ability to compartmentalize and, and move forward. So how about from a business standpoint? And you've kind of touched on this. How did you know CH as a businessman? Did you overhear many conversations about the company growing up? I know you said he would bring home those sheets whenever he would come home at night. But what was your opinion or your perception of the family business? So, you know, he um, it was really kind of neat. He didn't talk about jobs much, you know, at night or tell me what they were doing. I guess when I was like six or seven years old, I want to say I asked him, I said, Dad, what do you do? And um, every Saturday morning, he used to go meet with what we called his leadership team. And his leadership team was um, Ray, who ran at the time. He was his guy that ran all the survey crews and T-Boy. And T-Boy was the shop guy. So they would always go have coffee on Saturday mornings. And every other Saturday morning, my dad went down to the seaplane base and got into a seaplane and went ride the work that they did during the week because we didn't have, you got to realize there was no aerial photography available. You could get it from Tobin and different sources like that, but it was all old stuff. So my dad always wanted to go see what happened during the week. And so he gave me the opportunity to go with him on Saturday and I got to go up in a seaplane with him, and we flew over the Chai base, and we looked at some stuff that they had staked. We went fly the marsh in Vermilion Parish and looked at some stuff, and that was him really putting an eye on what they did mm-hmm. and gave him the comfort that it was done right and, you know, build the trust in his guys, which I thought was pretty awesome. My father was not a business development guy in the direct sense of what you say a salesman. He wasn't. He actually built trust with his clients, that his clients trusted him, and he always got repeat work. And then word of mouth 
he got additional work. He really did not believe in having a salesman, never had a salesman. He was it, and his work stood for itself. That was his idea of it. I kind of had the same opinion. I was a worker-doer. Most of my career in, in the surveying department, I took on a lot of workload, but also had a very, very good trusting relationships. It's a really good thing to instill. It's like, if you serve your client well, if you're honest, you serve with integrity, then like you say, the work kind of speaks for itself and you would get repeat work. Yeah. And you got to realize back in those days, there were no cell phones, there were no computers, there was yeah. no email. So all you it, have it, was the work, the yeah. work product. And, and you look, so a lot of times the company men were with them, but most of his deliverables were done with a letter, a cover letter saying, dear Mr. Exxon, you know, I got everything you wanted to do on this project. Thank you so much for your stuff and send it out. And then Mailed an invoice a couple of weeks later. Most of the time, he told what the cost of the survey were in his letter. You did have telephones where you could call back and forth, but most of it was um, it was done by by letters and, and with a company man on the job. But he built that trust, which is neat. So a lot, a lot of repeat business, yeah. which was interesting. I love that. Our foundational reputation mm-hmm. built on that trust that you talk about. So another facet of his personality, I've heard that he could be a bit of a hard ass. So I wanted to ask you, is that a bad thing to say? No, no, not at all. I really have heard that. But what was he like as a boss? And did you sense, and you kind of touched on this, that did he treat you differently as his son or was he just as tough on you as anyone? Well, you know, I don't know if he ever really wanted to be any of our direct bosses, just like I never wanted to be the boss of any of my kids, mm-hmm. because he probably thought he would have been a lot, lot harder on me than someone else. He he pretty much gave the RJs, Bill, Ray, you know, whoever that authority and said, I want him to learn. But I did get to work with him on several things. I became a registered surveyor in 96. We had a major play going on in central Louisiana, which is where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I got to spend a lot, a lot of time with him because he never, ever got to work that area a lot. He worked that area when he was a kid with his father, who was a surveyor there. That was Allen Parish, right? Yeah, Allen the Parish, Oberlin area. Uh, Beauregard Parish, Vernon Parish. They pretty much worked all of central Louisiana from the Sabine River to the Mississippi River. So he worked with his father on weekends and and mainly for the private industries who worked for the timber industry. So he remembered as a kid going to a lot of those places. So when we got quite a bit of work in that area, we were staking some well locations and doing some pipelines. He was so awesome. He wanted to come with me every day I went up there and I would go up three days a week and he wanted to go look in my grandfather's old records because my Uncle Bob had them. And he wanted to come out with me. And, man, he was just full of stories about things that happened. You know what I mean? So that is probably one of my fondest memories of going through areas. And even driving, you know, when we would go visit an aunt or an uncle somewhere, I mean, his intel was just impeccable. He had a memory. I mean, his mind was a steel trap. He remembered everything he ever did. And and I don't know if it's um, hereditary, but 
It's the same for me. I could probably drive down any road and say, hey, I went over here and I staked this well. I staked it for Amrod Hess. Most of the time, remember the name of the, the, the owner. It's just that kind of thing resonated with me. It was just so neat. I love that he had that nostalgia for going back to kind of where he grew up and then kind of tracing his father's footsteps. And I kind of have that same nostalgia whenever I was a landman working out in uh, the Abbeville courthouse. And if I would come across one of his plats, I would just run my fingers over it it's and think about him and what he was doing, you know, at that time. And it is really cool. It's cool yeah. to have that history. He told me a story about, and this had to be probably like 1927 around the, it actually was 27 because it was the flood of 27 that he and his dad drove down to come see it. So he was um, nine years old and he and his dad are, are 10 years old. And he and his dad drove to the General Mouton Bridge up on the hill off of Pinhook and saw the water. And then they drove all the way around. So they had to go around the Chaplai Basin, go north, come all the way around and came, got to Morgan City and saw the water. Now, that journey may have taken two weeks back in those days. I have no idea. He didn't ever tell me <laughs> how long that journey took. But all they had was newspapers and stuff for those kind of news events. And, uh, you know, his dad being a civil engineer and, you know, that may have been his passion in his later life to go to LSU, become a civil engineer. Another story is he told me, he said, I'll work with my dad on all that timber. And I made the decision when I went to college to become a civil engineer that I was not going to do that for the rest of my life. He had the passion of going into the oil business. So he graduated from LSU in the mid-30s, and he got a job with Texaco. And he just said he wanted to build an empire for an oil company or build an empire for himself. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to um, to be a one-man surveyor in Oakdale, Louisiana. He wanted mm -hmm. to get out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He had... A growth he, mindset. He had a growth mindset, which is kind of interesting that, that we look at it today as one of our core principles. So with that in mind, what qualities, characteristics, or traits did CH exemplify that you think reverberated throughout the organization? Like, in what ways was his personality large and memorable? Trust. I mean, I mentioned trust a couple of times already. He said to have that trusting, transparent relationship with clients and employees, both internal and external clients, was very, very important to um, his career. And being a mentor, being um, someone to share, a leader to share those experiences with, to teach people. You got to realize when he started this business, he walked to a bar next door every morning and grabbed his people to go to work. You know, he worked out of a little shop in, in you know, Iberia. You know, he wanted a competent workforce. He wanted people, he wanted to give them jobs. He wanted to give them benefits. He wanted to grow. And he did. And, and he was a great mentor, teacher. He built the foundation that started this whole thing. And, you know, I'm just fortunate that I got to, to take a part of history and, and take it to the next level and hopefully give it to my kids or some people that are here today that can take that to the next step. You kind of touched on this, but so what elements of our founder, your father, my grandfather, 
do you think linger in our present even today? Just his uh, passion, his value for his employees. You know, he cherished his employees. He really did. You had to meet a certain culture for him or you didn't last over here. He liked people that were engaged in what they're doing. I would say his trust both ways, his foresight into um, new technology was a big driver. He was a no-bullshit guy. He just believed in getting the job done. He did a little chit-chat at the coffee pot, but it was five minutes, and everybody was back at work. You know, I think I wrote on one of my Yammer posts about hats. He just thought everybody should be respectful. He sat at the petroleum club with a table of 10 gentlemen every day. Every day he would go over there, and he was very, very well-respected. You know, and every once in a while, I got the opportunity, you know, when I worked in the office to go with him. You never, ever heard it. You never heard it. But he touted Bill, myself, and was just so proud of our accomplishments. But he never, ever told you that. You know what I mean? He told his friends. So that was really kind of neat. And I still hear it today. You know, your dad was always so proud of you for doing this or something. He was really proud of the accomplishments that um, this company has made over the years when he wasn't in control anymore. When when he gave it up and, and let Bill run it, he was just very proud of what we took on and grew for him. You know, his children, it was something he could look at and admire. I thought that was neat. That is neat. And it's cool, I think, also to hear around the way that you made your dad proud. It always feels good. Oh, it feels good. You never hear it. He never told you. You read that in, in books today on on management and things like that, you know, people need praise to move to the next level. He never gave it, but you felt it. Yeah. That's neat. It's a good feeling. So just as CHF left his stamp around the office and within our culture, what do you see as your lasting impression? What legacy do you hope to have established here at Finstamaker? I hope to, um, one of my things, especially in the role I'm in now is business development. One of my rocks from our level 10 meetings that I had this particular uh, quarter was a sales playbook. And it was one of Charles's ideas. Hey, John, what did y'all do to drive business in this company? Most of it was done in customer service while you worked as a project manager and things like that. So that's probably one of the biggest accomplishments I think that I've achieved is this quarter we've been training people in this sales playbook on how to, in in every role you're in, on the field role, how to work with company men, how to be transparent, how to build trust in the office, in the workforce, both survey and environmental, how to build a relationship with a client. Just, you know, in the world today, people just like to email. They don't like to talk to people is I'm a people person. That's probably one element my father didn't have. He was not a people person. Mm-hmm. I'm a people person. I'm going to tell you, everywhere I go, if I say my last name is Finstamaker. They always know my Uncle John. (laughs) They always know you. Sweet. (laughs) But that's the thing is Bill and I have personality and we are people people. And not only we we built it on relationships and building relationships with people, but also turning out a great product, having the people here 
that allowed us to have the fine reputation that the company has. And I hope that legacy lives on. And, you know, if any of my kids, I'm personally proud because I'm the only Fista maker that has a stamp to date. My son, Patrick, is going to achieve his civil engineering degree. Well, he already got his degree, but his license probably within the next year, which would probably that would be my biggest accomplishment of sending him to school and getting him educated. That that's just really neat. And his and his grandpa would be so I mean, just Over he, the he's up in heaven. He's just going, that's so awesome, you know, that the fence to make our legacy continues. You know, I hope my son son Edward gets his surveying license. You know, that would be a major accomplishment to keep the name going. That would Me be personally, fourth that's generation. That would be a fourth generation. Ed would be fourth generation, yeah. right? Wouldn't that be neat? Uh, kind of neat. I, I uh, we found call, some. We're uh, calling him out right now. Yeah. <laughs> my grandfather's notes. I found some of my dad's notes. I found some of my notes, and then take Edward's field notes and putting them and making a plaque and just having that in my house. You know, when I retire and just saying, "Man, look at this legacy that's been been there." It's really, really neat, and my dad would be so, so proud of it. I think the Fence of the Mecca name just needs to live on. It's like Coca-Cola to a soft drink. It really is. You know, when, when we go places, the firm name is well respected. People see it on plats. People know what goes on, and I, I'm, I'm just proud to be a Fence of the Maker, and I'm glad my dad set that foundation way back when so that we can all follow it. Me too, and I think— you're the perfect person to develop a playbook because you've been in all of the positions that you're advising on. And it's awesome that you get to mentor. Just how you were saying, granddaddy was real big on mentoring, on teaching. It sounds like you're following along in that vein and you get to mentor and you get to comment on your experience. And I remember... One of our PLSs who came on and I had asked maybe what had drawn them here. And they mentioned the the number of PLSs that we have on staff, the seniority and the experience of the professional land surveyors here, and that they wanted that mentorship. They sought that. They had a thirst for that. So it's really cool that you get to kind of satisfy that request of sharing your experience and your knowledge. I'd say my dad, so we, we always said he was a little rough and mainly it's because he cared and, but he didn't have a lot of patience. So <laughs> I think the legacy that I leave behind is the same a little bit is I want to be that mentor, but I want to be that mentor with a little bit more patience, you know, a I'm, little bit more, patience. a little bit more patience. So <laughs> I, I'm a pretty patient guy. I, I'll go two or three times, you know, before I blow up. And, I, and I, I don't think I've ever blown up before. I'm joking. But it just makes better people. And it, it takes the legacy of this company and it brings it to another level. You know, I'll probably walk out the door in 10 years or eight years or whatever. And I feel that I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish while I was here. Definitely. And I, of course, appreciate my time with you here. It's always good. (laughs) How do you think our business culture has shifted over the years? And what about that shift excites you? Especially in Louisiana, we've lost most of our energy business. And if 
we wouldn't have had the foresight 10 years ago to expand the business and bring it into Texas and bring it into New Mexico and Mississippi and other areas. We wouldn't have survived. We've had to expand our business lines. You know, we do pipeline work. Back in the day, we didn't do a lot, a lot of pipeline work. A little different group of people to deal with. It's a little different skill set. Most of the energy people are very, very professional. Some of the pipeline people are a little rougher. So I actually didn't fit that culture to begin because uh, to market it, I had a hard time dealing with people. And all you would hear was somebody wanted to kick back or something like that. And my dad built a value in me that we don't pay for business or anything like that. So I wanted to win it. And I wanted to win it through a good job. So having to bring in a different skill set, we brought in uh, Steve LeBlanc on the pipeline side, who came from that side, who worked with people like that, taught me a lesson in that I got to hire the skill set inside that industry to get business in that industry. This past year, we've made two strategic hires on the pipeline side that I think will pay major benefits to the company. So the change in the business has has made me think more about how we have to hire and how we have to hire a business development team to grow those business lines. We have um, a big experiment that Charles has got going on the municipal side. I think it's going to be a major success because he's kind of streamlined their thinking on what they're going after and simplifying it a little bit. I think on our power side, I think we've hired somebody internally that's going to do the same. He is from that side of the business. He understands how to market that business. So I think as a company, we've learned. I hope that continues after I'm gone on the business development side to hire people or use people from internal that know that business line to expand it. And I think we'll be successful. But we always have to be thinking of what are we going to do next? We always have to look for new emerging markets that Fistelmaker can get into. You know, 30 years ago, if you would have told my dad about solar or something like that, he probably would have laughed at you. But it's being forced down our throats and we're either in the game or we're out of the game. We got to decide what's going to be our part of the game. Uh, this carbon sequestration stuff, the same thing is we can all say, hey, it's a joke. You know what I mean? It's just people making money off of something. But we have to look at what opportunities there are in those areas for CHF to to grow and to continue to be in business. I think we have good leadership here now. I think our management team is open ears to our staff, open ears to all of our members as to where we're going. So um, I'm proud of our accomplishments. I'm proud of the way in the direction that we're going right now. I think we'll be around for another at least 50 years. That sounds good to me. So throughout the years that we have been in business, over 70, weathered many ups and downs, oftentimes ebbing and flowing with the tides of oil and gas. So what do you think has allowed us to withstand the test of time? I think you kind of touched on that, a bit of the diversification. We had a, in the late 80s, we had a real big dip, you know, all got down to like $8 a barrel. There still were 50 rigs drilling in South Louisiana, though. Today we have two. But what they did was they just looked for other things to do in different areas. Hey, we may have to go do some commercial development. We may have to do something. It may not have been as profitable, 
But hey, we got to have something to keep everybody on board. My dad cherished his people. Bill cherished his employees. He wanted to keep them employed. I mean, I've been through three or four dips through my career here. Mm-hmm. Hey, we didn't make any money. We lost money on a lot of them, but we weathered the storm every time. We came out stronger every time than we were before. We learn lessons every time. So every one of these things is a good lesson on um, what do we need to do. And we're never going to get to the point like some of these consultants similar to us do is they fire everybody or they lay them all off and then they bring them all back whenever things back to normal. I think that our top, you know, 80% of our employees will be here We'll find something to keep them busy, even if it's working in the file room to make us better when we get out. Mm-hmm. I think that the company invests in that. It's an investment. Hey, we're not going to make any money. We're not going to, uh, we're going to lose money. Whatever But it we're takes. investing in our people and we're going to come out stronger next time just to get this done. Because you can't, you can't ever grow without people. Yeah. And we invest a lot of money in people in training, safety programs. Um, I mean, hey, I, we, you know, we pay education. a lot education. You know, we were very open on educating people. Not trying and, to hey, hold that's, anybody that's, down, just no, letting people reach no. their potential. No, and, and probably one of the biggest things is is no one ever held anybody back here. If you wanted to be the president of the company, you always had an opportunity to do that. You know what I mean? You always had an opportunity. Hey, I didn't have to come out of the field. My dad would have let me in the field forever if that's what I wanted to do. But you have, but it's that passion inside. And once you think you burned it, prove yourself, prove yourself to the people. Hey, hey, John's got it. You know, I didn't go into some of our relationships when we really, really flourished in the nineties with, Hey, I'm going to handle these two little things is, Throw me the apple. I got it. You know what I mean? I never, ever look back. Hey, it was a lot of sweat equity, you know, a lot, a lot of hours here at night getting everything ready. But, hey, look what it paid off. And, hey, I had a lot of people in the trenches with me, but they bought in. And that's the key to it is you show people that you work your butt off, then they're willing to work their butt off. And they see the end game, you know. A lot of them that I work with back then are still here. They're in management roles. They learned. Which is neat. So this is kind of a personal question. When times have been rough, where do you pull from internally or externally? Where do you pull from to keep going? What ideas or sentiments do you hold at heart that allow you as an individual to keep driving forward? Well, like I said, my passion is for the people here. So if we don't have work, we either got to let them go or pay them and we can only pay them for so long. So, I mean, I, I lay up many, many nights worried about things. A couple of years ago, we had another bad year just because of the economy and things like that. And now with COVID, you know, we had a, a very, very rough start of last year. Some unique challenges. Yes. A bunch of unique challenges. It really affects me at the time. And I, I look on my personal relationships. I research my ass off every day. I look everywhere. You know what I mean? They come, people come into my office, go, what you doing now? I'm all over the place. I do have some ADD, but I'm, I look at what's going on, who's doing what, 
And then I try to come up with a battle plan. And in my battle plan, I share with my BD team. I say, hey, we may have an opportunity here. Expand the base, get out, see people, try to find out whatever's going on. And then work with the production teams here. Say, hey, we may have to lose 5% or 10% on this job, but hey, we can keep everybody employed. And let's weather this storm and we're going to come out strong Mm -hmm. because we're going to have everybody we had and we're going to be, we have all that knowledge and we're going to, we're going to kick some butt coming out of this thing. You can't ever sulk. Yeah. You got to stay scrappy. Yeah. You're not going to win. We're winners here and everybody fights for it. And hey, when you don't have anything to do, do something to make the company better. Do it internally. Come up with something. Find say, hey, let's hit the firearm. Let's do this. Let's go learn how to do this better. I've never, ever in my 39 years here ever had my dad, Bill, Charlie say, hey, don't buy that piece of equipment right now because even though it's going to make us better, you know what I mean, we don't need it. Is they've always taken my word for it or somebody in the roles that I've been in. Hey, if you think it's going to make us a better company, I trust you. Do it. Yeah. One of the things about working here is management's mostly behind people if they have good ideas. Yeah. And, you know, I just, in top to bottom, you have a good idea about something, always share it. Yeah. And I know we do have like an open door policy and I've heard a lot of, you know, I've worked different places and heard that. But here I think it's definitely a true thing. Everyone wants to hear ideas and bring them to the table and flesh them out and yeah, move forward. I mean, my dad always had an open door. Anybody could feel free to walk in there and talk they had to the him. Yeah. Fortitude. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was an image, you know, it was a facade. Yeah. My brother Bill, very much an open door. Charlie, an open door. Yeah. Uh, myself, I've always had an open door. Hey. I, I'm really bummed out today. I used to know everybody in this company. I don't know everybody, you know. It was just my passion to know people. So if anybody ever comes upstairs in, in the environmental building, comes through business development, please say hi and introduce yourself to me. You know, I make an effort to go around and meet people. You are the future of the company. I want to know who's on the team, and I definitely would like to meet you. And I know that's genuine. So closing question. You've made it. Oh, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> In the spirit of the name of our podcast, Fueled, what fuels you in general, in life, career, work, family? What fuels you? People. The people fuel me. The smiles on faces here fuel me. It's really, really neat just walking and just having the relationships with the people here. You know, it's, it's really, really awesome. It's like my it's like my family away from my family. Mm-hmm. Just people giving me experiences about what they've done or what they accomplished. The Yammer site, you know, listen to having people just show what they did. This is our family. That's why I want to be successful. That's why I want the company to be successful. That's why I want the next generation to be successful is we've created a culture here. It's unique to any culture that I've ever seen. People tell me that all the time. People that leave here for maybe a dollar more or something, they all want to come back. And you just don't find this culture here. And and my dad's responsible for it, even though he was a rough 
a rougher person, he was responsible for it. He was the seed that built this this tree. And this tree has expanded out and expanded out, and it's bared a lot of fruit. It's really wonderful. And probably some of the best stories that you hear from people that leave us thinking they got a better opportunity when they come back say, hey, this was the best thing that I ever had, and I will never leave here again. I will retire here. It's just those relationships, the stories, the light humor. It drives me every day. You know what I mean? It makes me want to come to work. I don't think I've ever had a day I didn't want to come to work in my 39 years here. Well, maybe going out in the field with JC offshore. But other than that, it was always, every day was a new accomplishment, a new day, and it was always fun. I always finish with a smile on my face. Everybody always says, John, you have a smile on your face all the time because I do. I enjoy what I do. Yeah. I should have known you as a people. You are the epitome of a people person. A people person. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. I know you're so busy, always out and about on the go, and I really enjoyed it. And I know thank that you, other Catherine. people will too. Thank you, Catherine. All right. We'll have you a good day. You too. <laughs>